to us at the awakening That's is right. in the area of uh, planning That's our lives right. in the future, gift planning, right? That's right. Now, if I understand this correct, only maybe 60, 70% of people have a will in their life. Yeah. And 80% don't have a trust. And I understand in California the trust thing's pretty important. So yeah. pick it up from there and share with us a little bit about how you do ministry and encourage us in this. Yeah, you know, it, and we don't want to really talk about so much what we don't have as what we can have, right? And what we can have, and if, if there's one thing to walk away from about what we talk about, you hear these words trust and wills, and there's a lot of things associated with them. Uh, but we would like you to walk away with that we want you to protect and provide for your family, number one priority, so that you can live and leave a loving legacy. And the, the word live is very important as, as it is leave, right? It's, it's, we have the Holy Spirit within us right now. So you and I were talking with Jeremy over lunch, and we came up with these three big questions. Yep. Because you know, I've been going around to all the churches, and I have the honor of getting convicted every now and then when a senior pastor starts talking about giving. And then they start asking me some tough questions, like, where in the Bible do you have illustrations of these trusts and wills that are going to protect and provide for my family? So the three big questions that we have, you know, and we'll start off maybe with sure. the first one. I don't know if everybody could see that. Is The common question that I usually get is, why do I need a trust? I'm not old. Well, I may be old. Um, I'm not rich. And you know what? I hear these trusts that once you put something in, you can't get them out, right? So is that a good place to start, do you think, maybe the first question? Sure, you can do that. The other two I, I think you'll uh, roll into. So okay. So run, run from there. Yeah, so let's, let's start with, you know, uh, at the very end where it says, I'm worried about if I put something into this trust, I can't change anything. Well, this trust, again, the intent is to protect and provide for your family. We'll have some biblical illustrations in a minute. But if you think about a trust, it's almost like, that's right, it's almost like this box here. And, and you have those that are depending on you. Uh, and what you can put in this box, can everybody see this here? Very much, this is what we'll call a trust. And this document, this legal document, you can put things in like your house, and you can put things in like uh, maybe you have a vacation home or you have a savings account, okay? Um, and then you can, you know, put your heart, your love in this. The key thing is when Deb and I first did our trust in 2005, the key thing to remember is once the trust is closed, it's not locked forever, right? You can then say, you know what, the church that I want to give my savings account to, well, if I've moved to another church, I want to take it out of the trust, and I want to go ahead and give it to this new church that I'm going to, or God has placed a new ministry in my life, and I want to go ahead and put something new back in afterwards. So you can open and close this. And then let's say something was to happen. The Lord was to call me home today. Deb and I have a trust, and what ends up happening is, this trust gets passed on to her. Here, catch it, honey. And, <laughs> and she then can do the same thing. She can open it and put things in. And, of course, we have prayed about this, and we know what we want to put in and who we want to remember. Now, the key things are not only can you change things, but don't forget, this is just a tool. 
the important thing is the trust after Deb passes on, if I was to pass on, we're then going to remember those who are depending on us. And first our household, right, those underneath our roof, and then our church family, our ministries. That's what this is about. This isn't about the trust. This isn't about the will. It's taking care of those who are depending on us and loving them and showing that love through the love that God gives us. So that's probably the, the first part. Does that answer like, can I change it? Does, does that give you an Yeah, that was actually one of my questions this week as I was <laughs> walking through some yeah. stuff on that. So, yeah. and, and some of the goal there, right, is that you don't cut that chest in half and give half of it to the government of California. That's part of the goal, right. and we'll get to that. And the other goal is you don't want to spend so much time, like you said in your sermon, I think it was the death of a tyrant, where we focus so much on right-sizing what we have. We want to think about how God wants to send this for eternal purposes, like that Nigerian pastor. You gave right. that example. And what did he remember? The gospel. He remembered the gospel, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was an illustration the first week where um, the gentleman thought, you know, you know, why do, why do you like Americans so much? And he said, because they brought the gospel to my village, and I'm a Christian because of that. But that yeah. takes resources, financial resources, to do that kind of thing. That's right. As one senior pastor up in Long Beach said, we just don't know what eternal value that will have beyond that Nigerian pastor and how many lives and how many, if we're still, if people of the earth is still here, how many thousands of years that could go on, that one gift? You just don't know. We can't see. Cool. you got some other logistics to walk us through. Yeah, so the other thing that people say is I'm not rich. Well, the good news here is, you know, whether you're rich, you're middle income, you're lower class, you know, I'll be introducing shortly a couple of gentlemen who are visiting us in a new partnership that we formed that makes doing these trusts now affordable. So you don't have to be rich to do a trust. You can make changes as well without having feeling like, boy, i got to go to an attorney and he's going to charge me and ding me. I was like that, trust me. I didn't update my trust until this past year through Christian Trustmec. I waited almost nine years. Guys, that's a long time. So anyway, um, the rich part then gets to, let's just take an example of a median home in Temecula that is worth $400,000. Right. And let's say something was to happen to Deb and I and we live in Temecula and all of a sudden we don't have a trust. But you know what? We have a will maybe. And all of a sudden we have to pay because of the probate process, twenty two thousand dollars probate, which includes all these attorney fees, executor fees, twenty two thousand, almost five percent of the market value of the home. So you may be saying to yourself, yeah, but my mortgage is close to $300,000, so it can't be that much. It is. It's 22000 is on the market value, not the market value minus the mortgage. It doesn't matter what your mortgage is. The second thing is the process. I was thinking about this. It can take 6 to 12 months to go through the probate process. And I wouldn't want to put anybody through that. That's not a loving legacy at all. Do you think it is? No, it's not. <laughs> I mean, I was like, so that's one of the reasons we did a trust as well, to be good stewards of what God's given us. Now, let me catch this right. It, it's not the equity that's in the home. I yep. mean, could you be upside down on your house? You know what that means, right? You, yeah. Oh, we're on a train. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm in that camp. Here we go. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. 
I am in Temecula, yes. <laughs> I thought this is a stewardship series we're talking about. <laughs> so, but, I mean, that's what was amazing to me. It's, it's, not, it's not based on the equity issue. It's based it, upon the value. It's based on the total market value of the home, yeah. And I never knew that either. I thought it would be the net value, you know, after the mortgage. So, you know, that's, gee, I've got to be rich. You don't have to be rich. As a matter of fact, if you have real property that is worth $150,000 or more, you're going to have to go through probate in the state of California. And if you don't have a plan, they've got a plan for you. <laughs> if you don't have a will, they have a will. They have a will and a way. <laughs> That's right. Now you have a chart up here, I think, next. You've got that next slide there, Jonathan, and um, um, yeah. you can see it better over there, I guess. Yeah. And the reason why we put this chart together is because typically at this point, people think I'm an estate planning attorney, and I go around and I do seminars and so on. And this is a ministry. And let's take a step back before we dive into the table. So if you look at the Greek word for ministry, it has to do with being a slave, a servant to Jesus Christ. And there are three characteristics there. The first one is you serve with impartiality. You serve unconditionally, and you serve through the love of Jesus Christ. If you break those three down, impartial means no matter what your income status, no matter what language you speak, what culture you come from, this ministry is intended to serve all classes, all people, as Jesus Christ would. The second one is that it's unconditional. And a lot of people have trouble getting this. Even elders I sit around tables with, they think, okay, who do you work for? What's the catch? What do you get out of this? And again, this is serving with the love of Jesus Christ. And in ministry, what we do, it's not called fundraising, like you said so well last week. Fundraising is man using man-made techniques to go ahead and do things. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but this is a ministry. We rely on God's love, for God so loved us first that he works through people's hearts to open up their hearts to how they're wired, what God's given them talents and passions for to give. So those are just, a, I had to say that up front because some people say, well, what does this guy get out of this? So the net is... It's all about Jesus Christ and serving with the love of Jesus Christ. So shall we dive into the table now that we got that yeah, out of the I, way? I just think that's really important. You just need to know that. I've, I've been around for a few years, okay? <laughs> and so I'm always asking some of that question. So what's the catch? What's in it for, you know, that kind of thing. And it's just really a beautiful partnership that's being formed with uh, uh, the Alliance as well as the Christian Trustmaker, which you'll hear about here a little bit more. But uh, this is a great need in the body of Christ, and this is a ministry initiative to help for you in the planning of living and leaving a lasting legacy. Amen. So, yeah, Amen. here's your chart. So, you know, this used to be a real busy chart at once. I'm somewhat analytical, so we really distilled it down to you. Thanks to Kerry here. He is excellent with these things. And well, I know Jeremy, when you're on the back row, you can't read little, little small yeah. words, right? And uh, <laughs> so we distilled it down to yellow and blue. So yellow is... Everything that we probably know and in blue is things that are the outcomes, the results. So what do we know about the worldview compared to the Christian belief system and how we do things? And what are the differences in terms of results? So you'll see there's no biblical foundation in the worldview where we have a rich, just over 2,000 verses just on money, as you said in the first sermon, but there are many verses that talk about will and testament as well as planning for what God's left us. The motivation, 
traditionalism in terms of the world. This is the way my family has always done it, and this is the way how I'm going to do it. And then as far as Christians, well, it's really, as we said earlier, it's God's love. What's the outcomes? This is the thing that I was surprised about, Carrie, is I, I, I found that if you look at all the estates and the National Philanthropic Trust Organization did this statistic. I didn't do the study. But what they found is of all the giving of charitable gifts, only 8% goes to charity from a worldview standpoint. So picture this. You have a $100,000 estate. That means 8000 of that 100 goes to a charity for most Americans. Christians are about 10%. I'm not talking about our church here, the Awakening Church. I'm saying just these are generalizations right now. And then finally, if if we look at the bottom, the belief set is not too different sometimes. If I'm at an elder board meeting and the senior pastor goes around and says, okay, how many here on the elder board have a trust or a will to protect and provide for their family? Out of ten, maybe two to three raised their hand. You know, if you think about it, we live in this world where the health profession says, take this, you're going to live longer. The legal profession, excuse me for any of our lawyers here, says, in the event of something happens to you. Well, there's no in the event of it's going to happen. Um, 100% probability it is going to happen. And as I was... You know, I read through the Bible every year, and I'm looking at Job 29 as he's going through the prime of his life, giving a defense for what has happened to him and why all all these things are happening to him. And he's he's focusing on things, but he doesn't focus on the prime of his life too much. If you go to Job 29, it's just enough, and then he moves into who God is. But if we spend so much time just focusing on the glories of the past, that we ignore the opportunities of the present, we just may end up missing the future and being unprepared for the future. So the idea, as you said at the beginning, is planning and being prepared. So with that, maybe should we start with some Bible verses, yeah, do you think? Take us there. Okay. So we he- just do three, right? You got yep. three up there? We'll touch on it quickly. Let's go to Hebrews 9:15 through 17. And... This verse itself was the one that, after I came to your sermon on Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Christophanes, I don't know if you remember, I was mentioning, you know, that really got me thinking of, if we look at the Old Covenant, where do we see Jesus Christ pointing to the New Covenant? And, you know, after that, God placed in my heart Hebrews 9:15 through 17 after listening to your sermon. And it says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that has redeemed them from the transgressions under the first covenant, which is the Mosaic covenant, for where will is involved, the death of the one who said it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. So one of the things that I wanted to do is I just don't believe in pasting verses on and saying, here's why, you know, God left the last will in Testament. Therefore, it tells us to look at before. And if you look at Hebrews 9, 1 through 14, you will see a number of things. 
You will see God talk about a Levitical system. You will see he talks about that we did need mediators at one time under the first covenant in the Mosaic. We needed Aaron and his sons. We needed a priesthood. And you'll also find that there were two sacrifices that had to be made. Now, these were involuntary blood sacrifices of a bull and a goat, as you well know. Now, I'm reading this, and I'm like, wow, you know, they had to do all this once a year on a day of atonement, it was called, to cover the sins of all the Israelites. And then they would have to do it the next year so the sins could be covered for the next year. So you had this mediator going into the most holy of holy places who is a high priest. And now what we're unpacking here is we now have Jesus Christ. We have Jesus Christ and God and that we have a gracious benefactor. And this gracious benefactor is giving us those who are called the grateful beneficiary. This is the legal formula, right? An inheritance. And it's a generous inheritance. The qualities of it, it's eternal. It's promise means it's irrevocable, meaning you can't change it. Like I was taking things in and out of the box. And you know what? We can live this inheritance today because the old things have passed and a new age has come. We have the Holy Spirit to live the legacy that God has called us today. And uh, it's, it's quite incredible how God has a last will and testament, his last will and testament for us as Christians. I think that uh, I like the internal inheritance part and how you explain that and the understanding of it. I actually lead in a little bit to what I'm going to be sharing um, on later on as we look at the, um, the measure of an offering. You really have to get a grip on what God has done for us in Christ and the internal inheritance and all that we're blessed with. Yeah. And um, this passage goes to right to the heart of that matter. And you know what it also does? It also gets to the fact that God just doesn't leave an inheritance. But guess what? The Old Testament, we learn about God's characters. He wants us to understand the biblical truths and values that God is holy and we have a loving God. And you know what? When we leave an inheritance to our family, people are more important than the property we transfer. It's what are we doing to build the values and the people we love. And we gain that inheritance how? By making the choice to let Jesus Christ reign in our hearts. Without that, there is no inheritance that's eternal with that. Amen. We got a verse here from Jesus. Yeah. Jesus hanging on the cross. Remember this? Yeah. I was wondering, you know, where do we have in the New Testament an example of leaving or living, excuse me, a legacy and leaving a testament, and that's Jesus Christ, right? So picture this. It's now, as you all know the story probably better than I, it's 9 to 12, and it's daylight. Under excruciating pain and agony, Jesus is hanging on the cross crucified. And he knows the wrath of God is about to come in judgment and darkness at the noon hour. And what does he do right before that judgment comes? He looks at Mary, and he says, Woman, Behold your, your son. And then he looks at John, the beloved disciple, who some say could also be his cousin, but it wasn't one of Jesus' brothers, I'll tell you that much. And he looks at John and he says, Behold your mother. And at that moment, John took her into his household. And as the historians say, then John took care of her and later after that went on to Ephesus to pen the Gospel of John. So, you know, so even in those last hours, there's Jesus yeah. being mindful 
of what he's passing on beyond the spiritual blessing that there was a physicality issue happening with his own mother there. And, and, and look at the legacy. You know, he cared so much for his mother that he put her in the hands of John, who got mm-hmm. it, that he was the Messiah. Mm-hmm. It was more important. And he did this with compassion. And he left an Oral Testament because it says the Oral Testament is, and at that moment, you know, you know she went into uh, John's home. So, yeah, and, and after what Peter just did, I don't think he hung on the cross and went, Peter, John, Peter, John. No. John. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Uh, then a key passage out of Timothy here, and then uh, we'll start to wrap some things up. Yeah, the, the, the application verse for us all is, you know, that we must take care of our own and our household, right? And then it goes on to say, you know, or else you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Look at the word provide, though. I used to think it was grocery money, rental money, all these immediate needs. But if you look at the Greek, it's plan with forethought, plan ahead like Jesus was doing. He was forming this spiritual family with Mary and John so a spiritual community could be formed and go out. So the other part is for his own. And there's an indefiniteness to this. Other versions will use relatives, maybe the NIV, your new, uh, your NASB. But this is the New King James Version. If you look at the Greek for his own, there's an indefiniteness. So it could be your relatives, close friends. It could be your church family. And then, of course, household are those underneath your roof. So we're called to take care of those. And I'll tell you, this is a foundational verse for me, Kerry, because I think, as I mentioned to you and Jeremy at lunch the other day, I found through being obedient to this, God has really blessed Deb and I, you know, significantly. Yeah. So that's some good scriptural foundation. You have basically three things then to exhort us to that that, uh, are are being services that are offered. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, you know, that's why we're here today, right? We're really here to support the Awakening Church. And, you know, as Kerry just promoted me to ad- adjunct faculty here. I'm not going to be doing any more teaching after that. So <laughs> Kerry's the teacher. Um, but, you know, we formed a partnership with an organization that was referred to me by a very good friend. I used to be part of the Barnabas Foundation. Some of you may know Bob Shanks. And I heard about them through uh, a good friend, Jim West. And Jim uh, recommended that I talk with the president, David Carlson. And as I've gotten to know David over the past years of Christian Trustmaker, um, I found just God working through this man. And it's not just a business, it is a ministry. And I've met his attorney. So I'd like to introduce them for a minute. Will you please stand so they know who you are? David Carlson. And Mark Zebo. And Mark is a gentleman sitting right next uh, to David. So if you have any questions, but what they did is... They created for us, we don't have to go to an attorney. Can you imagine that? And you don't have to spend $2,000 anymore. $2,000 is what I had to spend back Mm. in 2005 for a trust. Mm. So right now, the list price for a trust, if we go on to the next slide, we'll see you can really do this online, is $389 to do a trust. And if we take advantage of an offer that, Uh, they're allowing and they've given to others. We have a special partnership between the Alliance and Christian Trustmakers, so we can go online to this Internet site. You have a reply card with you. If you fill out the information, you'll get an invite. 
with a referral code for the 30% discount. So you get a referral code, 30% discount, sent to your email address, and then you can go online and you can check it out. And you know what? There's no obligation. You can go online. You say, I want to continue. If you continue within the 30 days and you complete the trust, you then get a 30% discount. So that's $279. If you want to do a power of attorney, health care directives, those are $29 or $39 in the ballpark there, depending on what you do. So it's a quick way, an hour and a half interview. Deb and I went through it. We prayerfully considered it. It's an incredible blessing. And what I'd like to do and, is... And even if you don't do, want to do a trust, you can just do a will. Yeah, thank and you. And that's like 99 bucks, right? I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah, the yeah. will is 100 99. Because I was like, trust, what did I do with that? I yeah, think. yeah. So. A will is 99 and with a 30% discount, $70 for a will. So uh, what I'd like to do is just give you a brief introduction, if it's okay, to Christian Trust makes a two-minute video to let you see what this is all about. If we can start the video, please. When it comes to your family, you do anything to be sure they're cared for and protected. But what if you're concerned for more than their finances? What if it's important for you to pass on values, wisdom, character, and faith in Jesus Christ? What if you're concerned about making the greatest possible difference in the lives of the people you really care about? That's why we've created ChristianTrustMaker.com. Prayerfully planning your will or trust can be a wonderful act of worship. Christian Trustmaker can help you make a last will, a living trust, a power of attorney for property, and advanced medical directives that reflect what matters most to you. In an easy, step-by-step process, you can complete a secure, confidential interview used to prepare your personalized legal documents, delivered directly to you. With powerful tools and insights from God's Word, Christian Trustmaker takes the stress and confusion out of one of life's most important priorities, Christian Trustmaker can help you create a plan according to your priorities by eliminating the time and costly expense of probate, reducing taxes while supporting the causes you care about, and most importantly, being sure you, not the courts, decide who will take care of your children. Christian Trustmaker is an affordable planning experience like no other and can be done on your computer, tablet, smartphone, or wherever is most convenient for you, all in the span of a relaxing coffee break with a friend. So whether you're passionate about protecting your children, reducing how much you'll pay in taxes, supporting the causes you care about, or you just want to update existing plans to better communicate what matters most to you, now you've got a better way to plan. When you decide you want peace of mind today, knowing that your loved ones will be well prepared for tomorrow, think Christian Trustmaker. What do you think? Let me give a plug for this. I went through this process a week or so ago, and I haven't finished it yet. My wife and I are going to sit down and finish it out. But I was just so grateful because I'm like, this is really good. This is well done, and this puts together not just the nuts and bolts financially, but also the spiritual dynamic yeah. of it. And, uh, Dave, guys, it was great experience. I just want you to know that. I'm not doing that. just try to pump you to do it. It was just helpful. And I'll, I'll confess. I've not confessed to you yet on this. I thought I had a will, but in retrospect, I did a will. It's sitting in some special place in a desk in my house, but I never took it all the way on to get in a finalized and approved and all the legal aspect to it. 
I sat down, and this was a number of years ago, and I thought, oh, you know, if I pass away, somebody will find that, and they'll say that's good enough. And I've always been a little sheepish about that. But it's time to get it done. We're going to be getting it done. The will, the trust part, and this is just a great pathway to do it. So that's yeah. my little plug. So Well, no, it's uh, not. And, you know, we, it's really about you guys. You know, it's protecting and providing for you. That's the whole essence of this ministry. So I think the, um, the other thing to, to keep in mind is when you get on site, it will ask the four Ps, the people in your life that are depending on you spiritually, household, your property. We gave examples, your plans, how you want to plan things out. And then finally, the partners, who, who's going to come alongside you to be the guardian of your children should something happen or who's going to be the successor trustee. So that's what you can expect once you sign on. So Joe is going to be hanging around to do a 45-minute seminar to drill down a little bit deeper, fuller in these kinds of things. So that's there. And also um, he is also available to be able to do one-on-one encouragement this type week. of stuff. You're back this, this, this yeah, week. Um, I'll have schedules after the workshop. You can fill out the reply card as well, what days and time of day works for you. So, again, this is just a service and a ministry to us as a body, and we're just very, very appreciative of that. So. May I close with a quote sure. from Toja? I, I was at a sermon last week, and I was meditating as I was walking, and before the sermon, this Toja quote really hit upon me because it's, I used to be trained to think in this work to ask how much is enough when I retire. And I'm saying, you know, that's not the right question. So I'll let you determine what the right question is for you from this quote from Tozier. I have given, but how much I have left after I made my gift. No, I'm sorry, I'm starting the wrong side here. That didn't make sense. Before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will be judged not by how much I have done, by how much I could have done. In God's sight, my giving is measured by not how much I have given, but how much I have left after I made my gift. Not by its size is my gift judged, but by how much of me there is in it. Amen. If you're quoting Tozer, you're a good man. (laughs) You have a a handout that was given to you. You can fill that out, turn it in, and receive it at the end with our tithes and offerings. But I tell you what, why don't we all stand right now, take a few moments to greet those around you, and then we're going to jump into uh, some more discussion on God's Word. So we've been in the series, Money Madness and Mission going to start turning towards some of the mission thing today, and the pastor's going to start meddling in your life today. No, I told you up front that this series on money we were going to take head on, because that's what Scripture does. And we are going to look at what Scripture teaches, and you can decide when it's all done if the wisdom of Scripture is valid enough for your life to take on. All right? So we said in this series, Money, Madness, and Mission, there's different components that we could look at. We could look at depend on trust in God. We could look at work industriously, handle money responsibly, save mightily, invest wisely. Some of that was even here as we look about uh, uh, future planning kind of thing. That's all part of that. But we're going to focus on give generously again today. And with the give generously, there's the verse that we 
came up with last week or put before us, and that was from 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And I really don't know that I've met anybody who doesn't want to try to excel in the grace of giving and be more of a generous person. It's just that there's fears, there's challenges, there's responsibilities going on in our life, and money just is just always a weighted responsibility. In fact, I was listening to somebody share this week, and they said, you know, I do fine with worry in other areas, but the worry on the money front just weighs on me continuously. How about you? Are you sort of in that camp? If you are, you are not alone. But we focused on this aspect of money that one of the the real remedies to the worry aspect is to get a grip and an understanding on what generous giving is all about. And so we looked at different aspects of generous uh, giving. We started with the why. Then we focused on the how. Today we're going to focus on the how much. And then next week on the where. But uh, if I can take us back, and we had a couple uh, highlights of these last two weeks on the why, we said that generous giving awakens us to the materialistic tyrant roar that's in our life, and then it breaks the stranglehold by turning our focus towards eternal realities. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And then last week on the how do we give, Well, it's the disposition of the heart that is so critical. And the attitude is abundantly uh, clear in Scripture. The attitude needs to be one of worship. So generous giving as an act and attitude of worship to God is where we need to be. But to be filled with joy, we have to. It will only be to the extent that we find the joy of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's why reflecting back, even as we talked with Joe in the interview, you know, the eternal inheritance that God has given us when we really realize what stands before us. Not a house that's upside down, all right? Not dirt roads. I live on a dirt road, right? We're we're looking at an incredible new Jerusalem, streets of gold, being in the presence of Christ. He has eons of things planned for us through the eons of time as we rule and reign with him. That is our destiny. We're given these 70, 80 years here on earth, and so we need to live today in light of then. Not that we just have our... Heads in the sky, as some people used to accuse me even of when I was fired up as a young believer. Well, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And I wanted to say, forget that. I think you're so earthly minded, you're no heavenly good. Right? So you've got to have the context that our life here is but a vapor. Get our focus on eternal realities. Make sure the tyrant isn't gnawing and chowing down on your life. Give generously. It starts to awaken you to the stronghold. It breaks you from the stronghold. And then it brings worship and honor and glory to God. And the only way to move that direction, I believe, is to fall in love with Jesus more and more and understand his heart for us, wanting us to be his children not only in this life, but to rule and reign with him for eternity. So that's the context. We focused on the why. Last week we focused on the how and the disposition, the heart of an offering. Today, though, we start meddling. We're going to talk about how much. Because you have to move from the how to the how-tos. And the how-tos really is a how much. And the meddling thing isn't, like I said, me meddling. It's really what is Scripture teaching us concerning what it means to be a generous offerer to God and to his work. So um, scripture is going to be our basis for it. And you cannot start in scripture without going to the Old Testament and coming across a five-letter word that begins with T. 
the word tithe. And so I want us to look at the Old Testament teaching. I really titled this percentage giving is what it starts to teach. And look at the word tithe and what's taught about this Christian word tithe. Tithe, whether it's in the English or the Hebrew, Greek kind of thing, it means tenth. Ten. All right? And the reference was that a tithe, if a tithe was given, then it's 10% of what an income would be or what possessions would be. And so you see this word tithe showing up in the Old Testament. And you hear it taught today or you hear it's courage. Hey, we're going to receive the offering, receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. What's this word tithe? Well, always put in your mind, tithe equals 10. You cannot have a 5% tithe. All right? That doesn't equate. If you're going to give a tithe, it means 10%. And so, Scripture teaches this, and there's all kinds of questions that come with the tithe for today. It's like, well, that was an Old Testament teaching. Does that really matter? You know, and oh, it was only for a certain designated group of people. Then there were these other kinds of things. We now live on this side of the cross, and God's grace, and so the tithe, does the tithe really matter? All those are very legitimate questions and dive into them. I just want to spend a few moments tagging in the Old Testament, and then we're going to run to the New Testament. The tithe in the Old Testament, three principles I'd like to outline for you real quick. The first, principle number one, is the tithe was voluntary and predated the law. The tithe was voluntary and predated the law. The first mention of tithe in the Old Testament is in Genesis 14. Abraham was returning from a successful military expedition uh, against the Babylonian kings because they'd carried away his brother Lot. And so uh, he defeated them. He was come back. He was pretty jacked. He was pretty pumped because they won. And out of nowhere, he's intercepted by a guy by the name of Melchizedek. And it's interesting, you made mention, uh, Joe, of the Christophany. Some people believe that Melchizedek is actually Christophany, the presence of Christ in the Old Testament. Because out of nowhere, this person appears, and Abraham, in one sense, acknowledges him. He acknowledges him as a high priest and gives him a tithe. It says this in Genesis 14. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth, a tithe of everything. So what you have here is Melchizedek basically saying to Abraham, Chill out, you're not as big as you think you are. God is the one who won this battle, so don't get a big head. Abraham acknowledges that. And here he takes a tenth of the, uh, of the spoils of that military and gave it to Melchizedek. Another example of this, where it predated the law, is in Genesis 28. And this has to do with Jacob after he's running away from Esau, who he tried to steal the birthright from, right? And he uh, has this encounter in a town called Bethel. He has a dream. And uh, there in the dream, God affirms to Abram his promise to, Ab- uh, to Jacob that his promise to Abraham and his descendants to give them the land was still intact. So Genesis 28:22 says this, And this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me I will give you a tenth. Now, two things here, this voluntary and this predated. Nowhere in the scripture, pre-law, do you see that the tithe is mandated or coerced. It was a voluntary 
gift to God for the work that he was done doing and the work that he promised in advance. And the idea of tithe goes back before the Mosaic law. So when you sort of get into the camp of going, oh, that's a bunch of legalism. That was the law. We're not in the law anymore. We're in God's grace. Jesus has come. Glad day, glad day. Yes, that's true. All right? But you can't use that argument to dismiss tithe. Tithe predates the law. And the tithe was voluntary. Principle number two, the tithe was a minimum to be complemented by free will offerings. In Leviticus 27.30, it says this, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his time, he must add a fifth of the value to it. The entire tithe of the herd and the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod, will be holy to the Lord. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitute. If he does make a substitute, both the animal and its substitute become holy and cannot be redeemed. What's important point here is the tithe belongs to the Lord and it's impossible to redeem it, it says. What, what this idea is, is let's say, for instance, somebody gave a tithe that was worth $1,000 of grain, all right, to, uh, to God and to the work. And the person said, yeah, I'd like to have that grain back. I could really use it. They said, well, you can have it back, but you have to give a fifth more to buy it back. So if you want to give a cash gift, you give the thousand plus a fifth, which is 200 bucks. So that's $1,200 and you can have the grain back. But guess what? The tithe was seen as a minimum. All right. In that particular thing. Or you add to it into the free will offerings. Deuteronomy 12, 6 says this. Therefore, bring your burnt offerings and sacrifices, your tithes and special gifts, what you have vowed to give and your free will offerings in the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. Now, they didn't have like, a, you know, um, dollar, a lot of dollar bills or gold bars or something to get around. Right. The wealth was in their uh, their animals, their belongings. OK. And so when they gave. um they would give out of their flocks. But that was only seen, the tithe was only seen as a minimum. They would then do offerings and other things on top of that. All right? And so that principle number two, stick that in the back of your mind, that the tithe in the Old Testament was seen as a minimum, never as a maximum. And then principle number three, the tithe was a testimony of the fact that God owned everything. I like how it's phrased in a couple places in Psalms. I point out here in Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In Psalm 50, verse 10, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Now, you can sort of look at that a little humorously and go, that's a pretty egotistic God. That's mine. That's mine. It's like a child going around, no, that's mine. That's mine. No, that's mine. Well, friends, there is one legitimate being in all the world and the universe who can actually say that, and that's God. Yeah, that's mine. That car you're driving, that's mine. Well, I bought it. Yeah, but I created it. He didn't create it. It was made in a factory. Well, yeah, but where did they get those natural resources from? And who gave the brains to be able to put something like that together? That, that was me, man. I did that. 
You can push it back on everything you have. And I got a nice house. That's my house. That's not your house, God. It's your house. He's got lumber. Where'd the lumber come from? From trees. Well, trees. Well, I grew the tree. Did you grow the tree? I didn't grow the tree. You go ahead and get an argument with him. That's all mine. That's it. You see those animals that you eat and you have nice burger steaks and stuff like that? That's mine. Did you cause them to grow? Did you put together those digestive systems and put muscles on bones? No, that's, that's my doings. It's mine. If you're going to be a great steward of God, you really just have to give up and say, I give up. You're right. You own everything. You own everything. And that's not an egotistic thing. You say, well, that's pretty egotistic of God. It's like, no, it's not. He's God. He is worthy of our praise and our honor due His name. And if you think He's into Himself, He is the one who gave. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. How many of you are willing to give your child for the sins of other people? God is the owner of all things. And so when it comes to the idea of the percentage giving, we need to come into context with these three principles it was voluntary and predated the law. It was a minimum to be complemented by free will offerings. And it was a testimony of the fact that God owned everything. David says this in a beautiful prayer when they dedicated the temple. Now, our God, who we give you thanks in First Chronicles 29:13, and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight. We were all, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord, our God, as for all the abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hands and all of it belongs to you. Is that your common disposition in life? as you live from week to week. That's maturity in the heart of David. And it was a prayer before his people. And it would be a prayer that I believe would be a rightful prayer before us as a body, acknowledging God has everything. Now with this tithing aspect, the most famous passage in Scripture, so the Old Testament concerning the tithe is in Malachi. Last week we looked at Malachi and how God was really ticked off because they were giving him the weak and the blind sheep. There was, you know, oh, we'll give you up these scragglers here, right? And he, he was disgusted by it. He says, I don't even want your sacrifice. Take your offerings back. Keep them to yourself. Shut the place down. That's how indignant he was. It says this then in Malachi 3, verses 8 and 9. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Now, this was a prophet speaking to a particular time to a people who are acting a particular way. I just want to say this concerning the tithe as it relates to the Malachi passage, because we're going to come back a little bit later and address a further word from it. Whether or not you believe that was for today, what we read in Malachi, you need to understand that God never changes, and God is extremely frustrated here with this people. Because what they're doing is sacrilege in one sense. What they're offering to him is not what he asks of us. And so the tithe in the Old Testament, you can't do a study on the how much without dealing with the tithe. But then you might ask, well, okay, so what happens to the tithe 
in the New Testament? Well, the tithe in the New Testament seems to disappear. You don't hear much about the tithe. And so the percentage giving as it relates to uh, the New Testament teaching, uh, the tithe, it's, it's still sort of there. But there's only six places that the word tithe is actually used. Jesus doesn't affirm it, but he doesn't do away with it. Six places. Three times Jesus uses it, and three times in the book of Hebrews. The three times in Hebrews, it has to do with the whole Melchizedek thing and referring to Jesus as being the part of the highest priesthood or even over Melchizedek. So that's sort of not descriptive of the tithe. And the three times Jesus uses it, two times he uses it because the Pharisees are uh, bragging. The religious elite are bragging. Oh, we give a tithe. And Jesus says, so what? You give a tithe. Where's your righteousness at? And where's your mercy at for people? All right. And then the other time he's using it in a reference um, to an individual and uh, to not, you know, be boastful about it either. And so there's really no teaching in the New Testament for tithe. Oh, great, we're done. We don't have to deal with that 10%. Praise God Almighty. Whew, good, that's an Old Testament deal. No, you don't, you don't want to hang there. <laughs> the New Testament moves to what I refer to as proportional giving, which you're probably easier off with the 10% of the Old Testament. I don't have time to be able to drill down into it a lot, but the percentage giving becomes proportional giving, and the proportional giving, Jesus um, seems to focus on what remains and not what is given. So the measure of an offering, Jesus starts to look not at how much is given, but how much you're choosing to keep for yourself and to live on. Ooh, this is going to get a little trickier then, isn't it? And the one example I'll just give today, and it's uh, to some degree uh, uh, an argument from silence, and I understand that, is back to the woman with the two coins that we talked about last week. Mark chapter 12, verse 21. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. Again, he's sitting there watching them put money into the temple treasuries. He's being a little nibby-nosed, don't you think? But he's pointing out and highlighting the heart of love and compassion and worship and honor that this widow has in giving. And then it also says this in Luke 21.4, which is a cross text. All these people, Jesus says, gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Now, the only way you can do the arithmetic here for Jesus to come up with the idea that she put in with two fractions of a penny more than what, you know, the landowner did over here that maybe put in a couple, three thousand that weekend or something, is changing the measurement. The measurement isn't the how much related to what you give, but the how much related to what you've chosen to live on. 
And so it sort of reverses things and turns things around a little bit. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says this, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And 2 Corinthians 8.11, Now finish the work, Paul says, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. So the New Testament challenge is not as much on percentage giving as it is on proportional giving. The principle says this, the more money God blesses us with, not only does he challenge us to give more, but to give a larger percentage of it to God by focusing on what we keep. That is what we set before ourselves um, in this teaching, to shift our focus from what we are giving to what we are keeping to focus ourselves on the percentage of our giving, but then to ask ourselves the question, should it go up, should it go down, should it stay the same? It all starts to deal with this proportional thing of what I'm choosing to live with and to live on. And so the proportional giving aspect, we could run with it in a lot of different directions. Time doesn't afford today. But I just simply say this. We are a steward of God's wealth. He owns it all. He owns it all. We are to choose deductions of expenditures of what it takes for us from his wealth to meet present needs, to meet future needs. All right? Talked about that some today. But then we can look at wise investments. But then what's left, it's not the leftovers. All right? It's that's the portion that the focus is on. So the, por- the question of, well, do I, do I tithe the 10% before taxes or after taxes? All right, we can get it. It's like, well, your focus is wrong. Your focus isn't, hey, I've done my 10% deal, whatever it is, and I'm good. It's like, no, all of it's mine. All of it's mine, and guess what? Even with the tithe, you know, I'm, you, you get to take 90% of my stuff and live on it. Here's the 10%. But, but we start living our life in a measure that we can give more and more and more to God and his work. So we don't allow the tentacles of the tyrant to continue to pull us down. That doesn't mean God doesn't want wealthy people. God blesses people with wealth. A lot of times they know how to handle wealth and honor him with the wealth. All right? The wealth itself is not wrong. The pursuing of an increased income or a higher position, those, those things in and of themselves are not wrong. But you have to watch where your heart's going and what you're seeing happen as it relates to being able to serve his purposes uh, throughout time. So I want to give these suggestions as it relates to the how much. It's this. The first is let's start with percentage giving. In other words, instead of thinking about, uh, okay, it was $100, it was $50, hey, I threw in 15 this week, something like that, right? Or I gave to this missionary this set amount. Let's start thinking into percentages of what your income is. And I think that's one of the things helpful about a tithe. Establish the tithe as a minimum percentage to honor God. In Malachi 3.10, then it goes on to say this after he says, You're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, let me pause here. I'm going to challenge you today to a giving challenge for the last three months. Oh, no. 
He's meddling. I'm not going to check it out. No one else is going to check it out. I'm going to give you a challenge. Have you ever given 10% off the top? Otherwise, I don't think it's a first fruit to God and see what he does. Now, you're not holding his feet to the fire to bless you financially. He may just bless you spiritually in the richness of being obedient to him. But bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Let's start by just taking a big jump. I don't, I, you guys probably probably know what the statistics are better, but uh, normal giving t- in uh, the culture at large is people give, what, 2 3% to charity? And the church is maybe 1% or 2% more than that. Oh, where, where's that at? Are we known as generous people from that? And so you can say, okay, let's, I'll start thinking percentage giving. i got 2% going, 3%, 4%. And friends, I can't imagine the stress of the financial pressure that's represented in this room. All right? It's common unto all of us. But I want to challenge you to just take the jump. If you made $50,000 and you found out tomorrow that you were being cut in your salary down to 45000 for the year, would you quit your job and walk away? Or would you try to accommodate your lifestyle to be able to adjust? My guess is you try to accommodate your lifestyle to be able to adjust. And... I'm not asking you this because of the pastor or the church needs money. I just I think there's something to this Malachi passage still that says, test me in this. Just just take the jump for three months. My goodness, three months. If it doesn't work out for you, come talk to me. Come talk to our treasure. We'll give you your money back. I'm serious. I, you know, I know this sounds gimmicky, and I said last week I don't do gimmicks, but there's just something to me that says, try it. Test the Lord in this. Take the jump. Here's 10%, and we're going to start moving on from there and see what God does in our life. Whoa! I knew I shouldn't have come today. <laughs> but start thinking percentage giving and test the Lord in the tithe and see where it goes to from that. And then, I, with this, I tell you what the issue is. You know what the issue is here? It's not that you don't want to be generous. The issue is fear. The issue is fear. Is God going to stay true to his promise? Am I going to be able to put food on the table for my kids? Am I going to be able to make the rent payment? Right? There's fear. Faith pushes back fear. And you've got to use that in your life or the tyrant will keep nipping at you every day. The proportional giving then from the New Testament, I'd like to change it to two other P words and put these out there for you. The first is priority giving. Place giving as an act of worship before all other responsibilities. Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be brim over the new wine. It's the first thing that goes out of the house or out of the paycheck kind of idea, right? It's the priority giving, the first fruits. Keep it as the priority. And the second P word is this. Progressive giving. Pursue a lifestyle enabling increased percentage to giving to God's mission. So that's my challenge. Stands before you. In your seat backs, I'm going to ask you to pull out an envelope. Everybody. Those of you on the front, get this envelope from behind you. In the envelope that is there, we put a sticker on the front that helps better with the dividing up the giving aspect. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week with the where are they offering. But inside, 
I had placed this week a couple cards for the giving challenge. And this giving challenge, I just set before you. Nobody's going to check it. Nobody's going to look if you toss it in the offering basket today. The giving challenge, October, November, and December. Out of my love for Jesus Christ and desire to excel in the grace of giving, I commit by faith my tithe to God and his work through the local church for the next 90 days. The tithe is the first 10% of my total income. I understand this commitment is between God and me. And if you want to write down at the bottom, I also understand it's a money-back guarantee. You can. All right? Your name, your email, the only reason the email, I just want to have those emails compiled, and I want to send you a note to let you know that I'm praying for you on this journey, and it's not going to go to anyone else. Okay? This is a journey. It's between you and God. I'm going to ask you to test God in the faith, and then you sign it. Now, why am I doing this? Why can't you just say, well, just go on your way and do it? There's something about putting your name on something and having just at least a little bit of accountability as it relates to, okay, I I, I turn that in, and I know the pastor's praying for all of us who are seeking to do this journey. The second card is for you to fill out and for you to keep and go and post it on your mirror, go post it on a refrigerator, whatever it is, over the next three uh, months, and you got some of the verses we've been using there and others. This I'm going to challenge you to this morning in obedience to the how much to the measure of an offering. It's not legalistic. In fact, for some of you, maybe that proportional giving, you've been giving the tithe for years, for years. And God's saying, I want you to up it. couple three percentage points. Yeah, and you can mark and change the percentage on the card if you want. But we need to be on a pathway, a trajectory of becoming a more generous people with what God has given us to steward in this world. I sum it up this way. Generous giving acknowledges God's ownership of all things and by faith embraces the promise that God will richly provide for those who support his mission. 2 Corinthians 9.7 Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that we need, you will abound in every good work. I want us to pray, and the worship team is going to come, but I'm mindful that this is a little touchy for me to go to the place that I've gone with you, even in this giving challenge. But I was reminded this last week of a story I heard about a guy in South America who asked another lady, he said, Christabel, if you had a hundred sheep, would you give 50 sheep to God's work? And Christabel said, well, sure I would do that. I'd give 50 sheep to God's work. And then he said, Christabel, if you had a hundred horses, would you give a hundred horses to God's work? And Christabel said, I sure would. I'd give, a, I, I mean, I'd give 50 horses to God's work. And then he said, well, Christabel, if you had two pigs, would you give one pig to God's work? She looked at him sternly and said, I will not. And it's not fair of you to ask because you know that I have two pigs. 
God, we pray that you would open our hearts up to worship and honor you, not only with our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings, because you own all things, but Lord, we want to forward your mission on earth here and bring about your kingdom here as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, take and use the tithes and the offerings that we give for your glory, for your kingdom's work. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's just willing to take that jump, and tithe for three months to see if you will not pour out a blessing from heaven that grace would not abound to them richly, maybe not even materially, Lord, but that you grace would abound to them with the joy of their salvation of giving to you. Lord, I pray that you would help them stay true to that. Father, help them um, understand each and every day, every paycheck, that you really are the Lord of their lives. Lord, it's often said that if you're not Lord of everything, then you're not Lord at all. And so, Lord, we just pray that we would excel in this grace of giving. Lord, we seek your blessing because we seek your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. The worship team is going to close, and we are going to receive the Lord's tithes and his offerings. Your commitment cards for the challenge as well as the card to be able to engage in the trust maker thing that we spoke about earlier.